You are now listening to The Model Health Show with Sean Stevenson. For more, visit themodelhealthshow.com. Welcome to The Model Health Show. This is fitness and nutrition expert, Sean Stevenson, and I'm so grateful for you tuning in with me today. What's said is that we are a product of our environment, and that's absolutely true. We are going to assimilate the environmental inputs around us. And today we know that these are epigenetic controllers. These are even determining our health outcomes. They're determining our cognitive ability, our personality, so much more. They're truly influencing what our genes are doing, right? So these epigenetic inputs from our environment. So when we say that we're a product of our environment, it's absolutely true. And we're also creators of our environment. And that's what makes us so unique as a species. We're not just products of our environment. We're also creators of our environment. But until we become aware of that, until we can consciously create environments that are conducive to our health, that are conducive to our optimal performance, our joy, our ability to process through our stressors, all these things, we can actually create an environment that makes these things normal. Now, today, you know that our society is anything but normal. The CDC recently released their newest data showing that, and of course, we just covered this on a recent episode, but their new data is showing that 60% of American adults have at least one chronic disease. Currently, right now in our society, six out of 10 of our citizens have at least one chronic disease. And about 40% of our citizens have two or more chronic diseases. And most of these chronic diseases were extremely rare just a couple of decades ago. Something has happened. Something has changed dramatically that's leading to these poor outcomes. And what's often looked over in these conversations is that these health outcomes are influencing how we relate to each other. They're influencing how we relate to ourselves. It's very difficult to have compassion for ourselves and for others if we're not doing well physically and mentally it takes a lot of energy to be able to perspective take to be able to have patience we see the outcomes on the surface we don't realize that these are about energy inputs and these are about capacities these are about skill sets that we have to be able to develop yes but we also need to have the energy to be able to implement them You've probably noticed this in your life before. When you are stressed out, when you're tired, this is when you tend to be more irritable. This is when you tend to have less patience. This is when you tend to also go for things that might not be as, quote, good for you. You know, leaning into more time on social media, on our devices. We tend to do these things as just like brain candy when we are lacking energy, when we're tired, when we're frustrated, when we're stressed out. We turn to these things and also, we expel from our own biology expressions of lack of patience, expressions of lack of empathy, lack of our ability to put ourselves in someone else's shoes. And today also, you know that we are experiencing a lot of turbulence. There's a lot of divisiveness in our world today, very black and white thinking, very this team or that team. And what's going to result is not just a stalemate, but a trickle down effect of poor outcomes with our citizens. And that's what we're witnessing right now. Now, today we're gonna to talk about what's at the core of this issue. And we oftentimes don't think about this because we see our problems as our problems. And we don't think about the things that were planted, sometimes before we even get here, that are leading to the environment that we find ourselves in and the way that we express ourselves within 
this environment. And this is highlighted in a study, and this was published in the journal Neuropsychopharmacology. And the title of the paper is Potential of Environmental Enrichment to Prevent Transgenerational Effects of Parental Trauma. The paper is articulating that trauma from our parents, trauma from our grandparents can be passed down to us, can be handed off, not just genetically, but through mediums that we don't quite understand yet. But we see the replication of behaviors in new generations based on the exposures of past generations. There's no reason for the behavior to manifest, but it's because of what the people and, of course, in these animal models have come before. And we don't really think about this. Again, we might talk about generational trauma, but we don't really understand that this is real hardcore science that when we're having these conversations. Now, here's what the study also affirmed, and this is the beautiful part about all of this. Though we might feel handcuffed or though we might feel trapped by what has happened with generations before us, what the researchers uncovered is that exposure to enriched environments, exposure to positive experiences helps to change and transform our own expression. It's, it helps to neutralize those parental traumas. It helps to create a fresh template moving forward. All right, so enriching environments, enriching experiences, positive experiences helps to transform our psychology, our behaviors, and it gives us the power to change moving forward so that we're not trapped by things that we don't even understand that came before we even got here. All right, so we have the ability right now in our lives to change the story for our children, for our grandchildren, and for generations to come. But we also have to take a look at the situation that we're dealing with right now. Oftentimes we're trying to fight against things that we don't really understand. And this is why we find so much randomness or chaos. So today we're going to talk about getting to the heart of some of our biggest issues as a society. And we have on today a true superhero in every sense of the word to talk about this issue and to have this conversation, to get this out in the open so that we can then be able to process these things and invoke tools so that we can create enriching experiences and we can be able to better relate to each other. We can better perspective take, and we can start to solve some of the biggest problems that are facing our world today. Now, in the conversation about stressful inputs, you know we have to have a nutritional intervention as well. And if there's one thing that I know, and this is actually something I utilize today and pretty much every day, it is something with centuries of documented use, but we have new peer-reviewed data as to its efficacy with helping our nervous system and our ability to have resilience in the face of stress. This study was published in the journal Biomedical Research, and they found that these test subjects who had a variety of health complaints, including anxiety, poor sleep quality, they were given lion's mane medicinal mushroom or placebos. This is a placebo-controlled study. Lion's mane or placebos for four weeks. At the end of the study, the participants who utilized lion's mane had significant reductions in levels of anxiety, and in levels of irritation. And again, if we're talking about being able to have more patience to better relate to other people, irritation is one of those factors that immediately creates dissonance between two people. And so 
being able to help to support our nervous system with time-honored nutrient sources like lion's mane is something really special. And I had it today actually combined in this infusion with organic coffee. It says lion's mane blend from Four Sigmatic. Go to foursigmatic.com forward slash model. That's F-O-U-R-S-I-G-M-A-T-I-C.com forward slash model. Get 10% off their incredible lion's mane coffee. And also it has chaga in there as well. And I'm really into their cordyceps coffee recently as well. But also, if you're not a fan of coffee, you can just get the elixirs themselves. They have lion's mane elixir, which is basically like a really high quality tea, all organic. And also there's cordyceps, there's reishi. They do things better than anybody because they're doing a dual extraction of the mushrooms. This is a hot water and alcohol extract to make sure they're actually getting all these bioactive components that we're looking for when we hear about the benefits in these studies. Go to foursigmatic.com forward slash model for 10% off. Now let's get to the Apple Podcast Review of the Week. Another five-star review titled Life Changing by RM Jackson 24 Every episode offers information that is life-changing. I wish I would have had this in my life 20 years ago. Amazing. Well, you've got it now, and I'm so grateful to be a part of your life. Thank you so much for hanging out with me. I truly do appreciate it. And if you have to do so, pop over to Apple Podcasts, leave a review for the Model Health Show. And on that note, let's get to our special guest and topic of the day. Our guest today is Zachary Levi, and he's proven himself as a triple threat as an accomplished actor, singer, dancer, and now best-selling author. Zach is most recently noted for his iconic performance in the hit superhero DC movie Shazam as the starring character. And one of my favorite movies to watch with my family, with my son. And so being able to have him here today and to unpack all that we're going to go through is pretty remarkable. But also one of my favorite movies recently, he starred in as the iconic Kurt Warner, who is a Super Bowl champion with the St. Louis Rams. And I lived in St. Louis there, born and raised. And so when this moment happened, I was there front and center. And so our guest today played Kurt in this incredible biopic which you could check out. It's called American Underdog, and it's available on all movie platforms. Just an incredible human being, incredible passion, incredible insight. And he's really working right now to help to bring us together as a society by making sure that we're getting ourselves physically and mentally well so we can actually address some of our biggest challenges. Let's jump into this conversation with the amazing Zachary Levi. My guy, Zachary <laughs> Levi, welcome to the Model Health Show, man. Dude, Sean, thank you so much. Very, very uh, honored to be here. Appreciate all that you're trying to put out into the world and helping people live healthier, better lives. And that's what you're about too, man. Yeah. You know, and I was just so pleasantly surprised to see you're using your platform to talk about some of the biggest issues that we have right now. And you have a core understanding of part of the reason we're experiencing so much divisiveness right now. Yeah. Can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah, well, I mean, you know, first of all, I mean, I think it's our responsibility, whatever platform you're given. And look, your platform might just be with your closest friends and family. It might be that type of a platform. Sometimes you're given something that's more than that. Regardless of the size of the platform, I think that truth still has to be at the front of what you're trying to put out into the world. Truth and wisdom and kindness and joy and love and those high vibrational things, yeah. you know? Um and I've been very, very blessed, man. I've been so, so blessed. And I'm so grateful that I 
I, a, you get to be living my literal dreams ever since I was a little kid. I mean, I've dreamt of living this life and I'm living this life and I'm living it at a really high level. And it's, you know, <laughs> it's so cool. Um, but I don't take, you know, I guess similar to, to uh, you know, Spider-Man with great power comes great responsibility with, with and gifts, you know, power is a gift. And, and all these gifts that I've been given in this platform, I've been given comes with responsibility. And I don't take that lightly. And, you know, so I've always tried to use it for, you know, trying to bring good into the world. And, you know, five years ago, I had a massive, massive breakdown. I mean, legitimate, didn't want to live anymore. And thank God found this, you know, really incredible treatment. And I, and I, for three weeks straight was in the super intensive life, life-saving, life-changing, life-saving treatment. Um, and learned a lot of things there that uh, I couldn't just you know, keep under my hat. This wasn't just for me. This is, if you learn something that's real and that's true and that can be helpful to other people, you then spread it as much as you possibly can. So I was really grateful that, you know, doing podcasts similar to this, Harper Collins heard me talking about this journey. They're like, you need to write a book about it. That'll help a lot more people. I'm like, cool, let's go do that. And so I've gotten to write Radical Love now, which has been tremendous. But um, listen, you know, I, I could be wrong, although I'm rarely wrong. Um, but I, I think I genuinely believe that, you know, health overall, uh, mental, emotional, physical, spiritual, that is that is what we need to be putting far more time and energy into, because that is really what's hopefully, you know, really underpinning all of where we're either going in a positive direction or not. But mental health, particularly, I think is really kind of the most important thing we need to be talking about, because because really even at the root of poor physical health is poor mental health at the root of poor emotional health is poor mental health if you don't understand your own traumas your own past uh which by the way does not make you know it's you know i, I think that trauma in and of itself kind of has this weird stigma about it we're getting through it but look we're all traumatized there's all little trauma there's little and it's a spectrum there's little traumas there's big traumas and it's all that's just neuroplasticity in your mind we're learning so much right now but mental health it is really, I think, you know, if you go upstream and you, if you're looking at any problem, whatever it is, murderers, warmongers, greedy people, you know, whatever, anything where we are as human beings are not acting on our highest level and we are acting at very low levels and, and taking advantage of other people or whatever that is, you follow that upstream, it always comes back to somebody's broken heart or broken mind. That's what it is. That's where it all starts. You know, you can go and try and, and uh, you know, clean up beaches that, that uh, have you know, uh, oil spills or garbage or whatever. Yeah, you can go do that forever. Or you can go upstream and go take care of the things that are polluting the beaches to begin with. So then you don't have to keep cleaning those beaches. And the same is true with mental health. We got to go upstream. We got to go find out what's going on. And we got to help ourselves first and foremost, put our, you know, to use the, the airplane analogy, you got to put your own mask on before trying to help other people with their masks is that I've done plenty of that in my life and you just end up suffocating on the cabin floor. Like it's not a good move. Um, but I was so grateful and blessed again, that I had the resources and the time and the people around me that not everybody does have in order to go and really try to understand myself and, and love myself on a, on a much deeper level. I, when I, at 37, five years ago, when I went into this therapy, I had no real idea what self-love was. I didn't know. I, I thought I did. I think we all kind of, because we all think we have an idea of what love is, but which let's, we, we can dive into that too. Because I think that love as a concept is um, so misunderstood, you know, whether that's romantic love or, or you know, you know love, love, um, 
uh, were really the core of it. But I think that's part of it. We don't really understand what that is. So therefore, we don't know how to really truly apply it to ourselves. And a lot of us, maybe most of us, grow up in households where our parents didn't understand this. So of course, we're not going to understand it. And, and our parents didn't understand because their parents didn't understand. And their parents didn't understand. This is only really now. We're living in this really amazing, terrifying in some ways, but also really beautiful and hopeful time where mental, emotional, physical, spiritual well-being are really being talked about in powerful, beautiful ways, like a podcast like yours. So yeah, that's, you know, that's what I just feel very compelled to do. And that's where ultimately God kind of led me. You know, what could have been the end of my life turned into this incredible metamorphosis. I got to come out of that, literally booked, you know, the biggest job of my life in Shazam while I was still at therapy. I talk about it in the book as well. You know, all of that was this incredible moment of going and working on myself and then the blessings that came from that. And I really, truly believe that every single one of us has that ability, has that uh, uh, opportunity to do the real work, to do this work. Right. And then once we can do that, then we are stronger and more capable of receiving the blessings that I think are mm. very much out there and, and waiting for us. Wow, man. You even mentioned receiving yeah. being a problem too, you yeah. know? And so just to, j just to tune into one particular part of that, yeah. which is going upstream and seeing where all this is coming from, because a lot of the divisiveness or the lot of, you know, the inability to perspective take, to have patience, to communicate with other people has a lot to do with what's going on with ourselves, yeah. right? Our state of mental health, our physical health. And it's not that you can't have compassion when you're not well, it's just harder and it's more complex and it also takes more to be able to do it. What if we focus on getting well first, like as a person, as you mentioned, self-love, and I wanna talk about that yeah. because we think we know what that is. There was one statement that you made that was essentially in our culture today, if I don't have enough, then I'm not enough. Mm -hmm. Let's talk about that a little bit. Well, I mean, yeah, that's been, uh, that's been the problem ever since, I don't know, the agricultural revolution. I mean, prior to that, we were hunter-gatherers and enough was enough. We weren't worrying about collecting or gathering or hoarding more. Then once we figured out as human beings, by the way, I'm a total layman when it comes to all this stuff. So these are my opinions that I've, you know, based on lots of other things very intelligent people that I've listened to talk about these things. But, you know, essentially 10,000 years ago or whenever that was, we start to now, you know, create a system by which we are creating more than we actually need so that we can share with or sell to other people and barter. And now, and then we, you know, shells start becoming this monetary thing that we can now, you know, uh, monetize with and count with. And, you know, which all as a, you know, in a vacuum as a little tool, wonderful, but our our humans have these w twisted little things that really ultimately go all the way back to the ego. Like, why do we all hoard as much? Why do we feel like the, you know, the more we have, the more we're worth? Well, right. a lot of that is almost all of it is societally kind of programmed into us. And, and now worse than ever, because we have things like Instagram that are telling you constantly comparative study of like, oh, you don't have all that. You don't live there. You're not vacationing there. Your wife isn't this person, you know, and, 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 but the, the, the lie has been around for a long time. If you, I mean, a long time, I don't know how long, but the lie is essentially if you, <laughs> if you have the right job and you make the right amount of money and you're married to the right person, 
who also makes the right amount of money and you drive the right cars and you live in the right neighborhood with the right and the right kind of home and the, you have the right amount of kids and they go to the right schools and you know the right everything, then guess what? You're going to be so happy. But all the people that get there are inevitably unhappy because that's ultimately not where that is. It's all here. If you're not happy in here, it doesn't matter how much you get, which is why insanely wealthy people can't stop getting more. I mean, the you know, I, I don't want to name names because some of them could potentially be my bosses, but you know who I'm talking about. The wealthiest people in the world are still chasing. They're chasing and they're chasing and they're chasing. And more than that, um, you know, actually going back to the, to, you know, how the ego has driven this. I mean, if you think about it, you know, the ego is really there for, as a survival mechanism, as a tool. Uh, I'm glad that we're getting, you know, the ego for a while we were vilifying and being like, you know, death, ego, death, ego, death, ego, death. And I, and I understand that on, on some level, but really it's more like ego acceptance. It's ego relinquishing. It's, it's, it's looking at this thing that really served us beautifully. I mean, it's particularly as children, if you go through really toxic, traumatic childhoods, your ego saved your life. My mm. ego saved my life. Kids that go through like hardcore sexual abuse, disassociative, you know, type of things that the ego allows for, that saves their life, you know? So we can't, I, I think we have to be able to like really appreciate it for what it's been, but recognize that it creates all of these not necessary habits once we become more healthy or hopefully more healthy versions of ourselves as adults. And if we keep going back to it, we're going back to, you know, uh, behaviors that are not serving us anymore, you know? And so thank God, I feel like I got to a place where I was able to recognize that. And I have in the last five years done a tremendous amount of work getting there. But What's really terrifying is that the ego, way back in the day, the ego was tapping into our sympathetic nervous system and, you know, telling us, here's all the things you need to survive. You need shelter, you need food, you need water, some form of clothing and the rest of your tribe, right? right. Like that's pretty much all we needed. And the ego would really only kick on to get those things. That's actually a pretty wonderful, simple life if you think about it, right? I mean, of course, obviously, and, and all those things, uh, yes, you need all those things. And then constantly being aware of whatever, saber-toothed tigers are the things that were going to come, come and get you. But once we created money, money, and this is why I think, you know, we have such an issue and problem with this. Money in and of itself, if treated in a healthy way, I don't think there's an issue with it. But the problem is that money represents all of these things. You don't need to go find food. You don't need to hunt. You don't need to make your own clothes. You don't need to make your own little house. You don't need to do any of these things. You can buy it all. So why worry about those five things when you only have to worry about the one thing, get mm -hmm. the one thing, go after the one thing. I'm going to get more of this one thing. And then not only are all of my survival items taken care of, now I've also got, look at all the surplus. I can go buy more things. I'll be more than surviving. I'll be thriving. Well, that just becomes an unhealthy addiction to getting more and more and more of this. So you can be more and more and more of this, which is really just an unhealthy projection of who you are insecurely inside of who you are because you haven't done the actual work. And so that's why I think, you know, it's not just about healing ourselves, but recognizing that this, this thing is actually tapping into our very primal part of who we are, yeah. really recognizing that because if we don't, then it's just blaming Instagram and just, you know, but no, there's something really genuinely inside of us on that regard, I think, you know. Yeah, man. Oh my God. That's <laughs> that making that connection, even with how we're hardwired, yeah. is so profound. And to be able to make that connection within ourselves and to see how that very simple things that we're wired up for 
have become overloaded. Yes. Essentially. Like you just listed all the things that equate to a successful life today. Yeah. And it's just a new sh- Like yeah. this is just made up recently. Yeah. And we check these boxes. And here's the thing. A lot of those boxes to check, they're created by marketers. Oh, you know, bro. they're created, they're created oh, in an effort again to make more of that thing. Yeah. Every American, you know, it's the American dream, own your own home. Made up by the bank. Made up by the, well, by the way, a perfect example of that is, is this right here. How many, how many guys and girls, but I mean, you know, specifically women and globally too, not in every culture, thank God, but I mean, let's just use the U.S. as an example. I mean, getting a wedding ring, a big ass rock on your finger. I mean, as well, it's because what, it's what we do. It's what we, I have to do it. People will judge me if I don't do it. I, it's, it's what people judge you by. Oh my gosh, let me see the ring. How can I see it? Blah, blah, blah. That's all literally manufactured by De Beers like 120 years ago or whenever they started this crazy, uh, basically propaganda type campaign to, to <laughs> brainwash the world into saying, if you really love someone, you get them a diamond. And then slowly but surely, it starts with the elite, starts with those who can afford this crazy luxury thing, whatever. I mean, jewelry always was. And then, but then people who are of lower means are looking at that, wanting to emulate that. Because again, why would I want to live in poverty when I can live like that? And the more you can emulate it, the more you can somehow mentally step into it or whatever. That was all completely manufactured. And, and continue, we continue to be brainwashed by all of these things, by our, th- through our media, but, you know, brainwashed to believe that this is good for us or bra- brainwashed to believe that this is good for us or necessary or whatever. But again, our, we have not evolved physically, physiologically. We're still hunter-gatherers. Technology is going way faster than our brain's ability to keep up with it, our, bo- our body's abilities to keep up with this, which, would, which is why we would be a hell of a lot happier <laughs> if our lives were all way simpler. And it's also why I think a lot of people, I mean, I'm, I'm sure you know a lot of these people. I'm one of them who really believe that, you know, we've, we've, we've in searching for our own happiness, going and, you know, chasing this lie, this, this, this dream, this lie. What it's done is, well, we all have to have our own big home. Well, I guess that just tears us farther apart. It just yeah. tears us farther apart. And everyone's doing this and realizing I don't have community anymore. I, why? I, I'm longing for tribe. I'm longing for community. Yes, because it's built into you. Because that's one of the only things that the money can't really buy you. I mean, it can buy you memberships to clubs or things like that. But you can get some companions out here, man. <laughs> yeah. Well, you can we're, some, we're, and you can get some hangers on. And you can get a lot of leeches. You can yeah. get a lot of like, you know, all those types of people. But yeah. It doesn't, it doesn't actually get you real true right. tribal community connection and people are starving for it now. You know, it's, it's a real thing. Yeah. Um, prior to the world shutting down, the team for the former uh, U.S. Surgeon General reached out to me to have him on the show because his, his book was about what he deemed to be. And I, of course, went and reviewed his data that loneliness was the, the number one health issue facing our society. Mm-hmm. And he was showing all these stats on increasing mm-hmm. the risk of heart disease, of suicide, of anxiety, of everything that you can name really that's suppressing our culture. Yeah. And it all is rooted in loneliness. And because this goes back to that wiring that we have, yeah. and we're just outpicturing chemistry in our bodies because we're not getting the inputs that we're really wired for, which primarily is connection. Yeah. And, it's, and, it's, and again, it's a part of that 
you know, your, your, your top five of survival. It's literally programmed into you. And it's no wonder that, you know, look, because there's a difference between being alone and being lonely, right? Right. Some people are, I mean, I'm a extroverts extrovert. Like I need to be around people in order to feel charged and going. And I love it, man. I love it. It's like going to New York for me is like, give me all of that. I want all of it. <laughs> but I also have very dear friends that are hardcore introverts and they, they need to be alone. They need to be alone for long periods of time. And they're never lonely. They're good. They're good with them. Well, hopefully if they've done the work on themselves that they need to do, um, they're good just losing themselves in a book or whatever, spending time with their dog, they're fine. But even they, if not connected to other energy, life force, you know, um, you get to a place where you, I think you really start to question, well, what is, you know, if you, if you're connected to other people, uh, to, to community, you're not questioning your purpose as much because you feel an inherent purpose just in commune with other people. You're having conversations, you're unpacking ideas, you're loving on each other in that time with one another. You're sharing your fears, you're sharing your, your successes, you're, you're, you're um, communing in that way. And I think therefore satiating a lot of what our brain likes to manufacture, which is who am I? Why am I here? What's the purpose? All that jazz. If you are alone all the time and not good alone, but lonely alone, you don't, you quite literally don't now have that just inherent purpose of being a part of a community, which then starts going down really crazy roads of, well, then what am I contributing to society? Who am I? What am I at all? Nobody, and nobody wants to be with me and our brains, man. You know, one of my favorite quotes I've ever heard from the book, The Untethered Soul you are not, well, and by the way, I'm butchering it. I'm sure I'm, I'm, I'm butchering the quote, but it's basically, you are not the voice of your mind. You are the one who hears it. And if you can't recognize that, your mind's going to tell you all kinds of stuff like, like it did to me. You're not worth anything. Nobody cares. You're f you f***ed up your life. You're a failure. You're all of these things. And when you just sit in your own thoughts all the time, because you don't have other people to bounce that off of or tell you that you have worth, even if by just existing, yeah, yeah that's going to lead to a myriad problems in the rest of your life man you know th just really thank you man thank you for sharing this for sharing your story because people again they'll see you and they'll see the success <laughs> and they'll like you know he just has this he has that yeah i i can't i can't connect with this person because i have fill in the blank issues right yeah. and for you to share your voice on your experience that voice in your mind that you've had to go to war with on many occasions yeah it just really creates such a sense of hope that I don't think that we often get today, you know, because literally, like literally the manifestation of that superhero, yeah. right? Yeah. And to be, and to have that resonance to like, truly like I can be a hero too. Yeah. Well, thank you, man. I appreciate that. I, but I, I tell you, man, I, I just, I've always, ever since I was a kid, I love people. I love, I've always felt called to, to love people, to bring as much joy into this world as I can, to bring as much healing into this world as I can to, to be a leader within that. And I love that we can go through really gnarly shit in our life. And if we can trust that to God, the universe, you know, however, you know, somebody wants to kind of um, acknowledge that, that power, that presence, um, there's redemption in that. And it's not just redemption for you. Like I went through this gnarly stuff that I almost didn't survive. I'm so grateful that I did. But being able to talk about it, 
you know, people have said like, is that really hard? Is it scary being vulnerable? I'm like, to be perfectly honest, it's not. It's really not. That was the least difficult thing about writing this book because every time I've ever been vulnerable and I try to be vulnerable quite often to be, you know, because I, I try to be as, as transparent and authentic a person as I can. And in doing so, you end up making yourself vulnerable. But it's only ever brought good to my life. Only, net only positive. I don't, there's not like, you know, there might be some person, some Yahoo out there is like, well, I can't believe you, that person did that. I can't believe they would say that. But that's just because they're dealing with whatever they're dealing with in, in their own heart, you know? And that's part of what we talk about in the book. It's like recognizing that everyone is on their journey. Everyone is doing their best. And to anybody out there who's listening to this right now, like, give yourself a f***ing break. You're doing the best that you can. You, you, you are. It might not feel like it, but you are. And then in that, through that grace, have a little more grace and patience and empathy with yourself. And then go and love on yourself by reading a book that might help you. Talking to a therapist, biggest thing ever. I mean, just go and talk to somebody. Talk to a professional. It's the most important stuff. Mm, man. You know, when you talked about the ring scenario earlier. Yeah. Not, when, even when I say the ring now for the Lord of the Rings pops into my mind. Yeah. One, one ring to or, rule them or all. Or some wacky girl that died in a well and is going to come get you after seven days. <laughs> Both of those simultaneously popped up in my mental Rolodex. <laughs> but you talked about, you know, this constructed uh, idea of the ring shows how much I love you, right? Yeah. And this, and here, this is the thing that I admire about you and also because you're living this incredible life is that it's not the thing that's bad. It's when we attach our ego to the thing and it defines us. Yeah. And every time when I get into conversations about, and I'll just share this with you since I'm talking about yeah, what comes up in my head. Yeah. Whenever I hear the, the word ego, I think of Eckhart Tolle and yeah. in this hand, he has his hand, the pain body. You know, I love, <laughs> when he starts talking about the pain body, I'm like, yeah, let's go, I love it. <laughs> yeah. But just, you know, being able to, to identify that, right? You mentioned how we have that voice in our head, but we're the witness. We're the presence that's witnessing yeah. that thing. And if you can make that distinction, and not to say that our ego is bad, but now our ego doesn't become the person in the, well, the, the figure in the driver's seat. And we can utilize our ego and understand the value of our ego and also understand we're not that. We're not just that. Yeah. You know, we're something so much more. 100%. We're so, so much more. It's really unfortunate just how shallow a life that we all accept nowadays. And right. I will say that, you know, again, part of that, I think the first problem was that we that wealth became, you know, monetization, money, wealth that 10,000 years ago started becoming what our our survival mechanisms, our ego, our sympathetic nervous system started to really tap into. But almost even more nefarious. Um and it's directly tied to to the money. But I think it's probably even more nefarious and it's happened really I think it's a thing that's only kind of well, I don't know. Actually, maybe something like this has existed for a while, but in a very different way. But in, in modern society, I think, and, and, and specifically right now, with social media, with all the things that are going on, the real cancer is being cool. Cool is cancer. And I, and I to, to ex ex expound a little bit, you know, Look, the Fonz, the, you know, that kind of cool. The truth was cool used to mean unfazed. Like, you know, like cool as a cucumber. Like, I'm not going to actually 
cool used to be a, a, a if it was genuine a truly good mental health you know practice because you're not allowing whatever's going on out here to freak you out to make you act out of your emotions act out of these things cool used to be cool but what cool is now is all flex all these kids thinking that they need to have this kind of phone or these kind of clothes or hang out with these types of people or what or, or do these types of things i have to go do these drugs i have to go have sex i have to i mean i even when i was coming up in high school in the 90s the amount of time and energy that i wasted trying to be liked by the cool kids because it's and now the way in which it's all set out the way in which people you know shade each other and like you know slay everything's like slay girl slay like that's all just cool shit. that's all nonsense as opposed to people seeing other people as another human being that's going through something in their life. I mean, the ways in which kids are bullied today is unbelievable. And it's all tied to some form of some kid or adult bullies who are all trying to fit into what is the now, and which by the way, it's like this constantly changing yeah. definition of what's cool in the moment. Like what are the cool words? You can, I mean, slang changes now at, a, at light speed. Like the, 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 the things that kids say now, that are like, what are cool terminology? It, it, a year from now, you'll use those same terms. And I'm like, that's not, and I guess that kind of stuff's <laughs> been going on for a while. But again, that, just that, yeah. because kids, literally their egos, their survival is attached to being cool. It's not just even a matter, it's not survival on the most elemental level. And it's not even just survival because you have enough money. Yeah. It's, but are you cool? And if you're not cool, you're dying. And all, look at these suicide rates. And that's, yeah. that has nothing to do with whether, whether or not the kid has enough money to have lunch or anything like that. Look at all these kids, primarily young boys, young white boys, who are going and shooting up schools. That's, that is, and there's all, that's a big thing to unpack. But regardless of things that we should definitely have conversations when it comes to being able to have background checks and all that, absolutely. But at the root of that, doesn't matter what instrument somebody wants to use, people get in, you know, the into cars and mow down entire groups of people. They'll use a car to kill people if they have to and if they want to. And at the root of all that is a really, really up broken person, like really broken. And most every single one of these boys who goes into these schools and does what they do, they were constant targets of bullying, constant targets of you're not worth anything because you're not cool. That's really at the root of this shit, dude. And it is terrifying, it's terrifying. So we got to be able to acknowledge that. We got to be able to tell kids like, yo, let it go. Let it go. You, what's cool now won't be cool tomorrow. It's a you're chasing it always and it's going to define who you are. You think you're defined because you have Jordans as opposed to non-Jordans? Like it it's it's terrifying and it's and it's heartbreaking that the long-term effects of it all. Yeah, absolutely. This is a societal issue. It's not we tend to think that it's the person. It's the same thing. No. Like this, that's a symptom, but we're not going upstream to see what the thing is because we don't want to look at that. We don't want to do the work. We don't want to take accountability yeah. for our part in this. Yeah. And one of the big solutions obviously is, you know, creating better community, raising better humans and loving each other. But you've talking about it's radical love, yeah. loving ourselves, which oftentimes is the most difficult thing. And of course, there's a statement that you can't give what you don't have. Yeah. Yeah. Like, yeah. And you can't give what you don't have. You know, you, you can't. It's all true. All of that's true. And it's not even true of just love, but, all, you know, love adjacency. Like you were talking about mm -hmm. empathy. Like, how yeah. could you possibly think that you're going to be empathetic 
with other completely different human beings. If you don't understand how to have empathy with yourself first, if you don't have patience with yourself first, you won't understand what it truly means to have patience with other people. If you don't have a kindness with yourself first, you won't understand what it truly means to be kind. We have ideas. We have proxy ideas yeah. of what love and empathy and kindness and grace and patience and all these things are. But I'm telling you, man, I, I don't think most people really, 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 I didn't. And I considered myself a pretty loving, kind, patient, empathetic person prior to going to all of this therapy. But I didn't realize that I was still talking to myself the way that my parents, who again were doing their best, but were very toxic, critical, judgmental people. I talked to myself and chances are you do and you do and you do and everybody else does. We talk to ourselves the way our parents talk to us. If you had an incredibly kind, patient, loving, empathetic, still gave you good boundaries, but like, you know, like was always a soft place to land. If you f***ed up, it was like, hey, 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 it's okay. What happened is, you know, that shouldn't have happened. You are nothing but loved. You will be able to walk yourself through as an adult, almost any situation because you will not be destroying yourself in the process. But a lot of us came from households that had really critical parents because they had really critical parents who had really critical parents and so on and so forth, generational trauma. And so, what do you do? You destroy yourself for the rest of your life in the way that you talk to yourself. And yet you still are figuring out how to quote unquote love and quote unquote be kind and patient and all that stuff. And you think I'm doing it right, but we're all doing it. I feel like I'm pretty, I mean, maybe on the road, I'm still a little bit like get out of the, I mean, by the way, man, I love people so much and I, and I really do think I'm, I'm very patient with people, but Damn it, if bad drivers are just not like the end, they are the end of me. They are the end of my patience. I'm still working on it. But at the end of the day, truly, we are not going to be able to, to be all of these things. And, and I think, honestly, that's why. If you want to, I mean, look, it's the perfect indicator. If you want to know how well a society or a group of people actually loves themselves, first and foremost, yeah. just look at the way they're loving, their, not just their neighbor, but their enemy. Ooh. how much they are truly seeing the human being across from them, regardless of who and what that person is and, and, and might be doing with their life. Because it, what's, what's, what's really, really crazy to me is that as, if an individual goes into therapy, and therapists across the world would, would acknowledge this, is, it's that what was, ha what was done to you was not personal. Your parents were doing their best. These people, I mean, as crazy as it is, to, as, as, as it sounds, they were doing the best they could with the tools they had available to them at the time. They didn't realize how tra traumatized they were. They didn't, you know, so it's not personal. It was wrong, absolutely wrong, but you can radically accept what happened to you in your life, radically forgive those people on the other side, which does not mean you have to like them, doesn't. You can still say, I do not like this because they might not have changed at all. They might still be doing those same things. But to radically forgive simply means to radically accept and then realize that all of this garbage I'm holding on to, this to these toxins, these, this hate, this, this, the, the, the fears, the whatever yeah. it is that I hold toward this person, this unforgiveness, you know, and this is a very famous quote to, to unforgiveness is like drinking poison, hoping the other person will die. Yeah. That's yeah. what it is. Nelson so that's why Mandela. we, it doesn't matter. It's not about letting them off the hook. It's a matter of letting go. It's I've, I've radically accepted this happened to me. Now I'm radically forgiving the situation and this person because I'm not going to allow them to have per that kind of pull over me or power over me. And then if you can get to there, then the next step is to then radically love 
and radically, radically loving still doesn't mean you have to like them because love and like are two entirely different things. We all grow up believing that somehow love is amplified like. It's like times a hundred. It's liking something more than like. I like it, but now I really love it. That's not what it is. At least that's not what I believe it is. And in fact, recently I've heard, I heard this great quote, I think it was on Rich Rolls. He had somebody on, I can't remember the person, but they, they, they said, the definition they brought, they said, love is to will the good of the other, hmm. which has nothing to do with like, has nothing to do with even allowing that person into your life. Yeah. It is to see someone and just want their good. Yeah. I, you seeing people who have wronged you and being able to see the five-year-old child in them. That's the practice that I try to do. You try to just take them back, recognize they were a five-year-old who had all the promise and possibility in the world, but they got programmed to go a certain way, whatever that way is. So go back to when they were, that's still their soul. Yeah. And try to will the good of that child in them. And I think that, you know, we try to do that with people. Like there are murderers on death row and there are people that go into prisons and say, hey, I still see the human in you. I'm not going to dehumanize you. What you did was wrong. You need to pay for that. There's responsibility that you know, we don't have this, you know, uh, we don't have, a, you know, get out of jail free cards or free passes and say, well, it was my trauma that did it. So, you know, it's like, no, 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 no. Yes. I'm not going to level a whole bunch of shame on you because you are a product of your environment, but you're still responsible for what you've done. That still has to happen, but we can radically love them by, you know, it, I think uh, it was Thomas Aquinas who, who kind of quoted that to, to love is to will the good of the other. That goes all the way back to like Aristotle and all that stuff. I mean, it's real, true, deep wisdom. And it's something that we have completely forgotten because of, by the way, because of the De Beers of the world, because of our rom-coms for the last however, you know, 100 years of all of these things that program us into believing that, well, love is this oh, many splendored thing. And it's, I feel this love and I love this person. I like them so much. I love them. That's not love. That might be the feeling of in love. It might be liking something so much, but to genuinely, genuinely like, you know, the, like that deep, real, like, you know, the kind of love that Jesus talked about, like to, you know, to, to, to love your enemy and pray for your persecutor kind of stuff, which, which is, you know, it's, it's, it's crazy. It's so hard, but that's why, that's why it was hard then. And that's why it's hard now. Yeah. And if more people, more adults taught this love, this type of love to their kids, and these kids understood that love for themselves, they wouldn't go to these schools and treat these outcasts as outcasts. They don't have to be best friends, but they're not going to be constantly bullying them and making them feel inferior and, and literally telling them, you should just kill yourself. I mean, literally kids mm. say this to each other. Yeah. What do you expect a young mind to do with that? Either they go kill themselves or they snap so hard that they go, my life is worth nothing, so I'm going to kill a whole bunch of people with me. I mean, this is the root ultimately of what's going on. And it's all rooted in not really understanding how to love ourselves and others. That's the key, man. And, and, it's, and, and it's not easy. I'm not saying it's easy, but I think that's where the, the, the solutions and the answers ultimately lay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We, we clearly see that there is something that's awry. There's something that's not working right now. Yeah. My, my oldest son, he just turned 22 last month. And... This kid, he's lost so many of his friends to, to, to suicide. Yeah. Ah, isn't that um, insane? When we lived in Ferguson, Florissant, in Missouri, his best friend took his life. And it was, it was after we moved here. So this was during the time everything was shut down. Oh, okay. Oh, you guys and moved so, here during the pandemic. 
right before. Oh. Literally right before. We came just in time. Wow. You know, front row seat. Wow. Get your popcorn. Yeah. 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 So, but, you know, but I'm, I'm also grateful because, as you know, like being here is one of those ground zero places where I get to see the full spectrum sure. of human yeah. response, human yeah. consciousness, yeah. and also to see the extreme divisiveness like right in front of me and how people started to choose a side. And that is just, it's one of the fundamental, most ridiculous things about our programming is to think that it's the, this or that, because that's what's even manifested with this, these political parties, right? You get the kit. And a lot of times folks don't believe in all the things in the kit, but they, they make themselves believe the thing so they can be a part of this affiliation and everybody else is wrong. Like it's gotta be the polar opposite of these asshats yeah. over here even though we're asshats ourselves because we're believing these things that are so polarizing. And oftentimes, you know this, there's the truth is gonna exist somewhere in the middle. Yeah. And so one of my hopes with all of this craziness that's happened is for us to kind of look at how we've, how we've allowed this system to take place where it, in, by its very nature, it's choose a side. Yeah. And it's humanity against humanity. It's American versus American. This is supposed to be well, the United States. Yeah, I mean, it's it's one of the saddest things that's going on in this country. I would even argue that you know, in the world, you know, the, look at places like even the UK. I mean, they're 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 a pretty divided people, Brexit and non-Brexit, and their various conservative and and liberal liberal parties. But I mean, man, I've got so many thoughts on all that. Um, First and foremost, I think that we all as human beings need to recognize that we are being constantly manipulated and it's not just to buy rings, guys. It's not just to buy rings. It's to buy into entire ideals and ideologies that are not healthy for any of us. And it's so that people above us want us to be. And again, these are my thoughts, you know, uh, but but I, it's, I really believe it's because it only does them a favor. If we're all arguing with each other, guess what we're not doing? Holding them accountable. We're mm. not looking at facts. If we're all looking at each other and yeah, 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 instead of wait, 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 let's just let's just take a second. Let's take a second. Should we just look at the the people above us really quick? Yeah, listen. Holy, what the is going on? What is going on? I mean, insider trading, term limits, all of these things that clearly we the people should be saying this is so on collectively. I don't care where you fall on the spectrum of politics. Everyone should be saying, can we at least make sure that these things aren't going on? Because guess what? If you're a regular person and you get caught with insider trading, you go to prison. Yep. And yet, if you're a Nancy Pelosi, and by the way, she, you know, it's not just the Nancy Pelosi. There's conservatives that are guilty of this and Democrats and whatever. But all of them should be under, at the very least, should be under the scrutiny that a regular human being, a regular citizen should be under, and then some. If you want to be a leader in a country, guess what? You're held to higher fucking standards, not less. And yet, they have almost no standards. They have almost no oversight. And we, the people, are arguing all the time. So, of course, we're not going to collectively make that a priority, yeah. which is so sad. But more than that, the way they've built the system, they know the system works in a way that's going to continue to perpetuate this. And part of what does it is there is at least, there are, there are one, two, three, I mean, people could argue more, but all you need is one, one hot button topic that splits, you know, abortion actually it's a, it is, is probably the most, I would imagine abortion is probably the most hot button thing, right? You got these people over here that are, you know, hardcore pro-life and hard, I know these people over here, hardcore pro-choice. 
Now, you could have a conservative who's hardcore pro-life, but actually agrees with or would be willing to agree with a lot of more, you know, let's say left-leaning type of ideals. And you could have a liberal who is hardcore pro-choice, but, you know, let's say fiscally is more conservative, whatever. But they don't have a choice in who to vote for. Because if the most important thing is this life or death thing, right? Mm -hmm. This freedom or or not thing, then it's kind of like, well, it doesn't matter. All the other things are trumped by this one hot button. And they know this, the politicians know this. And we don't recognize that they're basically just holding us hostage by these one or two hot button things that don't allow us to come together in the middle to work out all the other things. And the more we are refusing to sit down peer to peer, you know, two ends of a spectrum and just try to have a, a respectful conversation. And I, and I think both sides are very guilty of this. I see people who are really brilliant on both sides of these arguments, and yet they talk with such disdain. They, 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 they speak of the other frame of mind, the other ideology, whatever it is, and anyone who subscribes to it with such disdain. Well, of course, you're never going to get together. Of course, you're never going to have a meaningful conversation because you're starting the conversation with clearly I am entirely right. And you're a fucking moron. That is the air that they hold and that they carry. And it's, and it's hubris. It's arrogance. It's not love. It's not seeing somebody else and saying, listen, I think you're entirely wrong. But I understand that you came from a completely different life and a completely different path. And I'm willing to sit with you and understand why. And maybe I'll learn something along the way. Maybe I'll not change my position, but I'll have a deeper empathy for why someone might have a different position than me. But they refuse to do it because we have now, the way we've been programmed from our news, it's not people just telling us the facts, it's people opining. And saying, let me tell you about these idiots over here, whether it's Fox News on the right or CNN and all the rest on the left or whatever. They're all just telling us these fucking morons. It's all that. Literally, it's that's how they carry themselves. And it's disgusting. It's disgusting. It's making it's making us all look at each other that way. As opposed to leading by example and saying, hey, guys, we fully believe in these as being the truths. And we think that those guys are wrong. But we're not going to dehumanize them in the process. We are going to see the five-year-old in them. We're going to recognize that they are human beings. And we are not going to, regardless of what's said of us, you know, we're not, we're not going to look at anyone and say that there are some basket of deplorables or that these human, these waste of human beings. I mean, the, I mean, even the way that, you know, COVID went down and, and the, the polarizations of all that and literally people on one side saying that the other side should die, should literally die. Mm, and you go, whoa, yeah. whoa, whoa. That is a bridge too far, guys. Yeah. That's a bit of a bridge too far, don't you think? Don't you think that, that the way that you even think that right now is because you, you think of life like that and we should never be thinking of life of anything that's alive. And this is part of, again, taking care of our planet, taking care of each other. If the only thing that's actually of any fucking value, real, magical, miraculous value in this world is life, plant, animal, human life. Everything else is something we can make and we can remake and we can remake again. And we'll remake literally six months from now another version of it. We can make another iPhone. We're going to make another one. And then, then we're going to all be addicted to them because <laughs> and even though they're not becoming any better. But the fact that we can all come together and really genuinely value all that is alive whether you agree with it or not, whether it's doing something you want to be, it to be doing in the world or not. The only life I, can, I think we should all agree shouldn't be around is mosquitoes. 
Uh, I, I can do without. I can do without. Uh, I know they're a part of some kind of ecosystem food chain. I, I feel like we could figure that out. Um, but by and large, you know, that if we can really, but we don't, we don't value, we, we've lost this, we've lost the ease of the shelter, clothing, food, water, tribe, protection, you know, whatever that, we've lost sight of that and we are into all of this other stuff. And so therefore our egos, our, our survival instincts are being hijacked by people that are so happy to do it because it keeps them in power and it yeah. keeps them rich. And, you know, which again, bit of a tangent from loving yourself and all that, but I think it's all part and parcel. And, yeah. and by the way, and I think that this is, you know, going back to what's so sad is that we can all agree on individual levels. Listen, what's happened to you has happened to you. You have to radically accept it. I mean, you don't have to, but if you want to get move on in life, you do. You have to radically accept you, and you really should and have to radically forgive. Otherwise, you're going to be holding on to this stuff and then to radically love, which doesn't mean to like it all. You can have all the boundaries in the world. You can tell this person, I never want to see you again, but I, I will your good. I, I hope that if I ever do see you again down the road, 10 years from now, you've had miraculous changes yeah. in your life. I want that for everyone in my life. You know what I mean? I wish my mom was still alive so that she had that opportunity to have done that. But if my mom was still alive and still toxic right now, guess what? I would still not have a relationship with her. I would will the good for her. I would do everything I could to, to give her an opportunity to get there, but you know, whatever. But, and yet we agree on all these things for an individual. But when a group of people mm. is acting out of their trauma, when there's an entire group of people that are saying, and might even have some, some valid arguments. Trauma bonding. Trauma, yeah, when they say, hey, this other group of people has, has wronged this group of people historically, whatever, and there's trauma there. Rock and roll, let's figure that out. But if we're, whole, if we're not radically accepting, radically forgiving, and radically then loving, this, then that group of people will be trapped in their trauma forever. And yet, and yet the leaders, the politicians, even the, the scientists and the doctors don't weigh in and say, hey, as a group of people, we need to be able to heal from this. Instead, it's that, those fires are stoked and stoked. Don't, let's not work through these issues collectively. Let's not come together and heal. Be mad. Keep being mad. Keep being angry. Keep being, keep, keep that venom and, and that in you. And that is hugely sad and detrimental. And again, one of the, one of the most in, insane things that I can think of, because once you break it down to an individual level, that's what every single therapist would tell you. Anyone that's worth their weight anyway. Yeah. Yeah. Got a quick break coming up. We'll be right back. Neuroplasticity, the ability of the human brain to grow and adapt and evolve and really to unlock our superhuman capacity is driven by our experiences, our practices, our activities, but also our nutrition. Fascinating new research published in the journal Neuron found that magnesium, this key electrolyte is able to restore critical brain plasticity and improve overall cognitive function. Again, neuroplasticity is the ability of our brain to change and adapt. Now this is one key electrolyte, but it works in tandem with other electrolytes like sodium. Sodium is critical for maintaining proper hydration of the human brain. If you didn't know this, the human brain is primarily made of water. We're talking somewhere in the ballpark of 75, upwards of 80% water. It's so important because just a small decrease in our body's optimal hydration level. What's noted in the data, just a 2% decrease in our baseline hydration level can lead to dramatic cognitive decline. Helping to sustain and maintain proper hydration levels in the brain 
sodium is critical in that. And also, researchers at McGill University found that sodium functions as a, quote, off-on switch for specific neurotransmitters that support our cognitive function and protect our brains from numerous degenerative diseases. Right now, the number one electrolyte company in the world is delivering a gift for new and returning customers. With each purchase of Element, that's L-M-N-T, the number one electrolyte in the market, no binders, no fillers, no artificial ingredients, no crazy sugar and sweeteners. My friend's son was just over at our house and my son, my oldest son, Jordan, was training them, taking his teammates through some workouts. And we opened the freezer and there's a bottle of Gatorade. There's a bottle of Gatorade in our freezer. And my wife's like, whose is this? Cause we know we don't roll like that. We don't mess with the Gators, all right? We don't mess with the Gatorades. And we knew who it was, it was one of his friends. And he came in, he's like, well, at least this is the no sugar kind. And then I go through some of the ingredients with him and I find those curveballs of like, here's where they're sneaking in these artificial ingredients and things that the human body has no association with. But you know, it's he's taking a step in the right direction by, by being in our environment. So you know what I did? I put the element in his hand. All right, make sure that he's got the good stuff, the very best stuff. And also this is backed by peer reviewed data and a huge body of evidence. And we're talking about the folks at Element. That's L-M-N-T. Go to drinklmnt.com forward slash model and you're going to get a special gift pack with every purchase, whether you're a new or previous customer or Element. So again, this is a brand new opportunity, free gift pack with every purchase over at Element. Go to drinklmnt.com forward slash model and now back to the show. You know, this is really magnifying for me, the kind of carnival situation that we're at now. Like we're at, we're at an extreme at this point. When you mentioned earlier, you said whether the news network is on the right or on the left. The fact that there is an entire news network mm -hmm. dedicated mm -hmm. to one-sided mm -hmm. political views, mm -hmm. this is like some stuff straight out of, you know, science fiction, but it's, it's real. And here's the thing, and we, you know, we're not gonna dig into this too much, but it's understanding there are people who are making massive amounts of money behind the scenes. You know, all of these networks, even though they seem like, again, they have these different political views, they're all primarily funded by the same organizations, you know, Vanguard being one of them, yeah. but also they're all also funded by pharmaceutical companies, you know, Pfizer, you know, it was brought to you by Pfizer. And so again, they're not going to have a narrative disrupting story if, because they don't want to offend their audience. Right. It's not about it's not about informing people. It's about, in in, in essence, it's propaganda at it's this just point. Programming people. Yeah. yeah it's and so you know, and also it, it, yeah, I want to share this too because when when mentioning even the political sphere as well, and I just shared this on a recent episode. Two thirds of U.S. Congress members got a check from a pharmaceutical company mm -hmm. in 2020. Yeah. Right. Two thirds on both sides. Now here's this is the thing too, and you said this uh, amongst what you were saying. Yeah. There are good people within these systems who are trying to do the right thing. But when we're coming into this and we're, we haven't done the work, we are extremely, extremely susceptible to that environment, yeah. right? And easily corruptible because it's just the nature of, you want to get something done. I'm trying to start this foundation over here. Yeah. I, let me get this check from 
Eli Lilly or from Merck. And, you know, it's just, it's part of doing business. I'm not thinking about the, the no. favor they're going to ask for me when the drug prices are continuing to go up and I can create policy to stop that. Yeah. But they're lobbying to make sure that they can keep drug prices as high as they can. Yeah. And, and look, you know, unfortunately, there is this really uh, bad tendency within human beings to rationalize. We have this incredible ability to rationalize. Yeah. And the ends can always justify the means. And so if you are this person who's trying to do good in the world and then some corporation, be they farmer or whomever else, says who has a, their own agenda, but they say, we'll help you make this good thing a reality. And not ask for anything other than, you know, just, but you, uh, you know, support us when we need your support. Nothing specific right now. Well, of course, if you're somebody who's trying to make that good thing and you go, uh, uh, I don't know what to do. Like nobody else has given me $500,000 million to go start this. Uh, okay. And you're selling off if you're a congressperson, um, a representative, you know, you're selling off just a little bit of your integrity and your soul in that moment. And the next time you're selling off a little bit more and a little bit more and a little bit more. And by the time you become someone who is of significant value and power in the DC, Washington DC kind of world, you're so sold out. You are so bought by special interests and lobbyists that now you, kind of, you, now you rationalize yourself. Well, I'm so far down this road. There's no way I'm going to pull myself out. So I might as well just go whole hog and I'm just going to like keep, you know, like it's, it's, it's terrifying. And look, and here's the thing, you know, just because, you know, because I think it's important for the record. I don't, there's not one industry that I think that I can think of anyway, that I think in and of itself is a bad industry. Meaning, look, I take Wellbutrin, you know, it, I want to eventually wean off of it, but it definitely helped me in my, as I've come to find out my own mental health journey and realizing that, oh my God, I've had massive dopamine crashes throughout my life because of the way I've come up in my life and needing to have these addictions in order to br bring me happiness because I was in a messed up home. So it started with video games and went to cigarettes and all that other stuff we can unpack. But the point is, there have been antibiotics, whatever, you know, I mean, there, there are clearly wonderful things that pharmaceutical companies have brought into the world. There are clearly wonderful things that agricultural companies or even let's say, you know, energy companies like oil companies, whatever. There are excellent things that have come into this world and have helped human beings on high, 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 high levels. However, if left unchecked, which is what's going on right now, and more than unchecked, like <laughs> supported, like it's not like we're, we're not even just turning blind eye anymore. We're not like, yeah, 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 go, go do that thing. Make me more money, whatever it is, you know, then that, that is where we got to be really careful. And that is in fact, what's going on. I mean, I think it was actually John Abramson, Abramson, right? Yeah. I think I learned from, from listening to him. I think it was uh, him uh, talking about that. There are only two countries in the entirety of the world that allow for pharmaceutical companies to advertise and it's us in New Zealand and New Zealand has such strict rules about how they can even advertise. And we are carte blanche, right? Do whatever you want. Do the imagery of the guy and the girl on a date, have an offense throw that football through that tire, be in that tub, whatever it is, you know, and barely talk about the side effects. I mean, you know, talk about them, but like talk about them really, really fast and kind of an under your voice and kind of put them in real small print along the bottom of the screen. And it's fine. It's fine. And also, uh, and also, um, when it comes to your peer review studies, give them whatever information you want to give them. You don't have to give them all the information. Just give them the stuff that 
know you want to give them and then let the peers review those studies which are half-baked and only in your favor and let's allow the ceos of these pharmaceutical companies to also end up being the heads of the fda mm. on a regular basis and then go from being the head of the fda back into being a ceo of the same company and we're telling ourselves that we're not being manipulated on some level that that is some real ostrich head in the sand guys that is not okay everyone on every side of the political spectrum should be very worried and by the way not just one example of one industry that's not even including agriculture energy all the other ones that are very many already being very manipulated yeah. and we are the we're the guinea pigs we're the hamsters we are the, the rats we if we can't recognize that we are just stuck in these perpetual loops of making them more money at whatever cost doesn't because again you know they can go a lawsuit can be filed i mean how many aaron brockoviches need to be made for all of us to recognize that they have so much money that even when they pay out the lawsuits <laughs> they still come out on top and they know this and we all just right. go well it's capitalism it's like listen i'm a fan of capitalism but conscientious capitalism capitalism that isn't taking advantage of everyone and the planet along the way it's totally doable guys it's totally doable you said it earlier when insider trading happens somebody goes to jail same scenario here with the drug company you know merck and vioxx kill killing literally killing people killing not one person one person you kill you go to jail yeah killing upwards of 60,000 human beings yeah. here in America alone. 60,000 lives so and sad. no one went to jail. No, no, because it was And so if there's no if there's no meaningful consequences, yeah. they're going to just continue this behavior. Why yeah. would they change? Because yeah. they still again you just said they still made money. Listen, listen in the same way that we hold individuals accountable for their own actions within their own taking taking control of their own emotions and going for healing in their healing journeys, a therapist would tell an individual to be responsible for themselves, but we don't somehow tell entire groups of people that they need to be responsible for themselves. In that weird paradox, we also now have this paradox of you are totally responsible for yourself when it comes to going and breaking a law, insider trading, killing somebody, whatever. But collectively as a company, you are responsible, but only kind of, and nobody's really going to go to prison, but, and we're going to, you're going to, you're going to pay out, you're going to pay out $5 billion even though you made 20 on the deal, so you're still netting 15? Like, this is insanity. It's all insanity. And until everybody can collectively wake up enough, put, drop, put down our swords just long enough where we're not killing and trying to kill each other and, and take care of these problems first, all these other problems are still gonna be problems. Yeah. We're never gonna be able to get past this stuff until we can collectively just hold, just long enough to hold all those motherfuckers accountable. You know, and by the way, in doing it in a way where we can still look at them as the five-year-old self, right? Not dehumanize yeah. them, but hold them hugely responsible for what they're doing. Yeah, absolutely, man. This is so awesome because what I've been trying to do is, of course, I've been a big voice and articulating oh, what's, going, this stuff for a long time. what's going on with pharmaceutical companies, but also I understand there are good people that yes. are working within these organizations yeah. who want to do good. And so when we just make it so that they're this dark villain and we're just trying to fight against this enemy. Yeah. That's part of the problem. We have to understand the psychology of the people within it. And again, at some point, you know, if we look, there's some dark shit though. We can't, really we're not going to ignore no, it that. It doesn't excuse any of it, but I think what it does is it helps at least to, again, it's, it's, these are practices in empathy. For example, you're looking at, let's say, a CEO of one of these companies, right? Now, why, Abramson talked about this, up until like the late, late 80s, 
pharmaceutical companies had far more of a conscience, far more integrity. They weren't doing a lot of the things that they're doing right now. In fact, a lot of industries didn't. And then all of a sudden, a lot of policies changed, I think even probably under Reagan, where, where corporations started to have a little bit more autonomy and power and protection. And all of a sudden, with, again, now, this is societally, if you're raised in a place that's telling you money, make money at all costs, make money at all costs, it's good. It's the, it's the bottom line. Your responsibility as a CEO is to make as much money at all costs. And so what happens is your conscience starts to morph a little bit. You're not an evil person. You're just starting to, again, ends justifying means and being like, well, oh, like, like I've got a family. I got to take care of them. I got to make as much money as I can. I mean, who know, you know, all these things are going through yeah. your head. So is it easy for us to point at one person and say, evil, you're, you were the decision maker, you did all the things? No, because it's a massive group of people and therefore a shared responsibility. So no one's individual conscience is taking all of it. All of them or whoever those decision makers might be are taking a little bit of it and they are being able to rationalize it because this is what we all agreed on, right? It's we're corporations, we're, it's shareholders, it's, it's all of the things we have to do this. It, it, it doesn't excuse it. They're still doing a wrong fucking thing. But we have to be able to see them as somebody who's actually caught up in the same bullshit. They're caught up in the same lie. And we all get caught up in lies. Anyone who's sitting around in this like, kind of like, you know, uh, self kind of righteousness of like, I'd never do that. F you. you. We're totally capable of doing anything and everything. I mean, this is one of the things I love about Carl Jung. I mean, he was super into that. The shadow self. And we, what we don't like in other people is us knowing that we're totally capable of doing that shit. The darkness in ourselves. You could absolutely become a murderer if your life path took you on that place. You could absolutely be some greedy CEO taking advantage of everybody if your life path took you to that place. So it's that balance. Holding people accountable, but not calling them monsters. And yet, by the way, some people do incredibly monstrous acts. Some people do really evil acts. I think we have to be able to disassociate the act from the life force, recognizing that we are all capable of doing evil. But I think in our most core, yeah. we are not evil. I mean, you can make the argument that like a sociopath or a psychopath is evil, but even they were clinically, they were born with a weird, you know, there's something in them that tweaked them. So what? Am I going to blame, you're going to really blame someone because they were born a certain way, right? We can't actually do that. We can hold them accountable and put them in a straitjacket and put them in a room or whatever needs to happen so they don't kill people. But to look at them as if they're like some animal. I mean, bro, this is to me one of the in most insane things. And this is very Western culture, very, very United States. But the fact that we can look at a, at a, a dog that is mangy and dirty and maybe you just watched literally fucking kill another dog or a rabbit or something like that and it's snarling and it's angry and it's in a corner and it's barking at you and yet almost every human being can look at that dog you know step away from it obviously right if you're smart but look at the dog and see a dog in there a really amazing dog that just had a up life we have empathy for a fucking dog but you see a human in that same place Evil, Ugh, dirty. Ugh, I don't want anything to do with them. Kill them, kill them, put them in prison. We don't even have empathy for each other. And that, I mean, again, just indicative of where, how f***ed up we are, how divided we are, how out of tune with actual love we are. Yeah, man. And again, when, 
when, when a problem arises, I believe a solution arises with it because there's access to this information on some of the things we could do. Mm. And so I wanna to talk to you about that a little yes. bit. Yeah. You mentioned earlier about comparison, you know, and us just getting trapped in that and lost in that. And so we're not able to go within and to do the work necessary to be able to see the humanity in another person. Yeah. And so what, what can we, we're, we're in a social media age today, you know? So is there anything that we can do to supplant or just to turn down the volume on all this rampant comparison and start to see the value that we carry as a human being? Yeah. I mean, I mean, look, the, <laughs> the, the dream scenario, oh, dream scenario, I don't know. Um, you know, there's, there's these moments where I, I fantasize about what if somebody like exploded some kind of like, um, like a electromagnetic pulse bomb that just took us all out of the digital age and brought us back to an analog world. And how, you know, that would screw up a lot of stuff, but then I wonder like, but how also much richer would life become again? Because we don't have these things that are, doing the things that they're doing and distracting us on a regular basis. Um, so there's that weird uh, idea, but no, that's not going to happen. And, and moreover, I don't know that it needs to happen. What we need to do is we need to take responsibility for how we um, interact with all that is available to us. And I think that, look, you know, social media, the, the, uh, <laughs> the paradox, the, of it, like it is both, it is both the, leading cause of mental health issues right now, I would imagine. And also the greatest platform we've ever had to talk about mental health, mm. which is crazy to think about, yeah. right? Yeah. And I think that anybody out there who really feels that they are constantly comparing themselves with other people and that social media is a part of that. Listen, if you are having a hard time getting off of social media, then just stop following accounts that make you feel that way and start following accounts that don't. So, I mean, that was something I did. There were a lot of people or things or whatever that I was like, these are either just straight distractions or not making me feel great about where I'm at in life or whatever. And, but there's these other accounts, by the way, yours is one of them. Like, you know, going to places that are helping me to learn more, going to places that are helping me to, inspiring me to want to be a better person. And there's a lot of like philosophy accounts or, you know, podcasts, health podcasts, things of that nature, science conversations around that spirituality or just like some silly dad jokes whatever it is but if you're going to interact with social media do it on terms that and you we all have the ability to make it on our terms but that's just you know that again that's more of a symptom though you got to go to the root if you want to stop comparing yourself to other people go to therapy go talk to somebody about why you're even doing that to begin with go work on the inner you so that as that is, you know, um, expressing itself in the outer you and, and social media is just one of those ways that you are looking at it in a very different way. You know, anything that will help you to connect with your higher, deeper, more whole self, I think is um, where we all need to be going. I think that has to do with diet. I think that has to do with sleep. I think that has to do with um, meditation and prayer. I think that has to do with, um, I love where plant medicine is going right now. I, I recently did this really uh, amazing uh, ayahuasca retreat down in Tulum, and it was uh, with wonderful people, beautiful souls. It was my first time ever doing it. It was something I'd wanted to do for a really long time. And it was 
an incredible experience. It was beautiful. And it was something that really helped me to tap into more. You know, somebody asked me, they go, do you feel like a new person? Or like, uh, uh, yeah, do you feel like a new person? And, and I said, no, I don't feel like a new person. I just feel like a slightly more whole person, someone who needs these other things a little less to make me feel whole. You know, because the more we all are feeling whole outside, uh, uh, you know, away from these things, then the, when we're, it comes up again, you're like, well, I'm good. I don't need to pick up my phone right now. I don't need to go hang out doing that right now or whatever. I'm, I feel I'm good. I'm not constantly criticizing and judging. And that's why I think therapy is madly important because if people really want to stop comparing themselves to other people, then they really have to stop, start loving themselves. And that, you, you know, sometimes you really need somebody professional to help you walk you through those, you know, the steps of what that means because it's important. Yeah, absolutely. And of course, your book is a wonderful resource. And also you, I, I want to ask you this now that I have you here, is it intentional with you putting yourself in position to bring about more, even empowering entertainment? Like, I got to ask you about this. You played Kurt Warner. Yeah in a biopic about his story. I'm from St. Louis. Yeah. This was during the time when, I mean, even when my oldest son was born, I had a Rams jersey on, mm -hmm. all right? I was at the hospital with, with mm -hmm. the Rams jersey on. It's a true story. And so I Hand saw the come Rams, up. Rams logoed cigars <laughs> to everybody. I saw when uh, Trent Green got injured and Kurt came into the game. Yeah. I was watching, Yeah. right? And of course I'm like, who the f is this guy, yeah. you know, and then to see the ride that we went on, yeah. it was like the city was buzzing. It changed the city. It changed the culture totally. of St. Louis. And then they proceeded to leave. Yeah. Um, but I followed them out here. Of course. Um, you know, and so for you, was that an intentional choice for you to play a role like that? I mean, you know, I, I really feel like, at least in my own experience, I don't know if this is true for everybody else, but, and maybe it's just me connecting dots that aren't really there, but you know, cause we're, we're good at like ass assigning meaning to things that might not have meaning, but I don't know. I think most things have some form of meaning. Um, I have roles keep finding me in a place in my life where I'm often dealing with or, or moving through something that's very similar to whatever my character that I'm playing is also, uh, kind of moving through or looking at. And, um, so I find that my roles are more like uh, they're attracting or uh, they're finding me. My roles find me more than I find them, I think. And you know that movie I wasn't even supposed to do. I, I pre-pandemic, I was I had a whole bunch of other work I was already lined up to do and that was conflicting with American Underdog and so I wasn't even available for it. And then the pandemic happened, which really messed me up, but also taught me a lot more about my own situation, my own mental health, most mental and emotional health, and then I applied that to the book cuz that <laughs> was all pertinent. And then coming out of that, all of a sudden, I was now available to play this role. And again, Kurt was somebody that I idolized as a kid. I was like, he was so impressive. The story was so amazing. Um, and, and even like, you know, I kind of came up in a, a Christian household and all that kind of stuff. So there was that faith connection and all that stuff. I was like, oh my God, this guy. And uh, so to all of a sudden, then now that this is coming full circle, and now I'm playing this guy who I already had so much respect for and then getting to know him and his wife then, you know, had far more respect for. Um, and for it to be, you know, actually he and I had very similar paths in that we both wanted to get into entertainment. I mean, sports is ultimately entertainment. Yeah. And um, we both believed it from a very, 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 very young age that that is my destiny. 
Mm. That is my destiny. And I'm going to do whatever I can between now and then, but I'm not going to give up and I'm going to keep going come hell or high water. And so there was a lot of that I was able to draw on. Um, but, you know, ultimately, I think that some, one of the things that, that ultimately, that, that was really powerful in that story and something that I keep wanting to, you know, rem reminding myself and reminding other people of, which is that um, what ultimately broke for Kurt wasn't, I mean, there was all these really incredible things. If, you know, you look back on it, his, him going to the Arena League, for example, this thing he didn't want to do. Well, that made him five times faster as a regular NFL quarterback because the, the offense and defense moves five times faster in arena league, which means you got to read your receivers and get the ball out to them that much faster. Well, little did he know then that that was going to work perfectly with Mike Mart's offense mm. when he got to St. Louis and he was going to blow doors on everybody because nobody was used to that. Right. But in the moment, you don't know these things. So trusting that you are learning and growing, even when you don't think that you are, you are learning and you are growing and becoming a better version of yourself to then be ready and prepared for what is around the corner. And not only that, but this myopic focus that Kurt had the whole time, which you kind of have to have, but you know, of like, I'm doing this, I'm doing this, I'm doing this, I'm doing this. This is where my value is. This is where my value is. This is where my value is. Until he finally was like, you know, if it never happens, it's okay. Because where my value is, is really in loving this woman and loving her kids and being that guy and then <laughs> all of a sudden booze doors blow open he's now been training unbeknownst to him to be a better quarterback in this arena league and his priorities got straight mm. and he was valuing the deeper real things and then and then boom blessings arrive on his doorstep totally unbeknownst and in the craziest ways nobody wishes that the person ahead of them breaks their leg in some weird way and preseason and all you know that's 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 a weird way to get your blessing answered and yet that's how it went down you know so all of that stuff i was you really kind of you know a lot of that was hitting me while i was doing it because i obviously wanted to make it as authentic as possible but also me recognizing that that was so much of my own life and going and prioritizing what was real going to therapy and loving figuring out that i needed to love myself something i never had done before figuring out the ways in which i had yet to really radically accept and forgive my parents to radically uh, accept and forgive all the people in my life that hurt me, knowing that they didn't mean to do it. It wasn't like, we're going to go get Zach. My mom, my stepdad, my, my dad, they're all surviving. They were all just doing the best they could with the tools they had at the time. We are all products of our environment. I mean, all that stuff. And again, you know, that's even kind of laid into Kurt's story as well. But, you know, I think, I think those are some of the bigger things I took from that. Yeah. Awesome. Awesome. American Underdog, great movie to watch with the family. Watch it tonight, Amazon yeah, Prime. Yeah. Uh, I watched it, it with Amazon my son. Prime? Yeah, it yeah, is. Yeah, That's yeah. why I saw it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, I, I got it early, as soon as it hit the scene, because it's the resonance. Oh, you of know? course. And oh, then man. cut to two weeks later or so, you're sitting here with me. Powerful, man. Thanks, man. How? How? Yeah. How did this happen? Yeah, well. It's the magic. That That is. That's, again, I mean, some people say God. Some people say the universe. Some people say source energy. You know, I, I don't like to define it much to the chagrin of a lot of my Christian friends. I don't like to define it in, in that particular way because I know I'm just trying to apply the same concept to however other people might want to categorize it or define it. But I think it's all that same thing. I think that it, there is real, real power in our ability to tap into that energy and how that stuff manifests. And, and I don't know if you're familiar with Dr. Joe Dispenza, but I think there's a lot he's of... He's been on, of course. Yeah. Oh, oh he's been on. Oh, yeah. yeah. So, you know, there's, 
there's it's real i mean that, that if our negative thoughts affect our bodies negatively which even physicians can agree that that is a part of it then why isn't the opposite true and it is true it is true and when you get enough people all together focusing positively on the same thing mm. you can manifest really big things guess what people that's called prayer it's we've been doing it for thousands of years prayer <laughs> manifestation whatever you want to call it that's what that is yeah. and it's real and i think that if we can tap into that together communally as a you know as, as people we could change all this we could change it tomorrow but we have to but again getting to that point means really getting to a point where you can love yourself love yourself so that you can love others so you don't have to go bully those other kids in school so you don't have to go treat other people like shit, so you can really genuinely be a part of making this world a better place yeah Zachary Levi, Radical Love, Pick It Up Yesterday. And also, of course, Shazam, the new one is coming, coming out, out uh, in March. Uh, March 17th, so around St. Patrick's Day of next year, yeah. And also, uh, Radical Love is uh, also an audible if you're you know, kind of a more of an, you know, an audiobook type of person. But uh, yeah, thank you. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you for letting me. I love, I mean, I can talk about this stuff all day long, as you could probably tell. So I, I love being able to sit down with excellent people like yourself and unpack you, these ideas. Yeah, That's thank great. you. I'm looking forward to continuing the conversation. I appreciate you for who you are and what you, you stand for. And again, pick up Radical Love, check out American Underdog. Shazam 2 is coming in March. March yeah. Let's make yeah. this a movement. Yeah. Family and you, movement. And if you want to follow me on social media, it's at Zachary Levi on uh, Twitter and Instagram. Those are the, really the only things. I'm Go doing. find this guy. <laughs> All right. Zachary Levi, everybody. Thank you so much for tuning into the show today. I hope you got a lot of value out of this. Make sure to share this out with your friends and family. And please go and show Zachary Levi some love on Instagram. Take a screenshot of this episode and just flood his inbox with love. You know, it's such a great opportunity to be able to share these perspectives, these voices, who people who have incredible platforms who are using it to make change, to provide education, and to do some real good. We've got some incredible shows coming your way very, very soon. Epic, world-class guests and powerful masterclasses. So make sure to stay tuned. Take care, have an amazing day, and I'll talk with you soon. And for more after the show, make sure to head over to themodelhealthshow.com. That's where you can find all of the show notes. You can find transcriptions, videos for each episode. And if you got a comment, you can leave me a comment there as well. And please make sure to head over to iTunes and leave us a rating to let everybody know that the show is awesome. And I appreciate that so much. And take care. I promise to keep giving you more powerful, empowering, great content to help you transform your life. Thanks for tuning in.